the Art of Leadership Network. Like, it's not just enough to theologically have ideas about lost people that we should love them, but in this phase, it's, they're going to get in your world and in your life, and you have to love them and like them. Well, what is up, Church Plant family? Uh, Unfair Advantage family, this is Mike Kickerson, and I have the privilege to be hanging out with Andy Wood, um, who is a church planter at heart, and Andy took over a struggling little church plant in Orange County, California. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, hey, Mike, good to hang out with you today. Yeah, so my wife, Stacy and I, we, uh, in the summer of 2000, uh, summer 2022, uh, were led to go to Saddleback Church, uh, where Pastor Rick Warren and his wife, Kay, had been for a little over 42 years. Uh, prior to that, we had planted a church in the San Francisco Bay Area called Echo Church, and we were there for 14 years. And then prior to that, we were actually, uh, we had planted a church while going to seminary at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. So I absolutely love church planting. Uh, this role is a bit different than church planting, uh, being a kind of a succession transition type uh, role. But at the same time, one of the things I've said in a lot of conversations, the transition really does include so many different elements of church planting. So I feel like actually I'm getting to be a church planter again, uh, just with uh, about 500 staff members at the time. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot of, a lot of at your disposal. And we, I've been a church planter. We've helped my wife, Jody and I, we planted mission church in Ventura, California in 2011. And I think it just ruins you, um, in all the good ways because we're so biased. And as we've had conversations and been able to work on stuff together and want to help the next generation of church planters and the current generation of church planters, it's a burning passion for us. There's something when you get around a church planter, you're like, yes, this is family. I get the good kind of crazy you are. And if there's anything that we've learned, we, we want to help. It's awesome, man. Well, I'm so grateful for your jumping in. Yeah, man. Thank you. Well, as we've thought about, even talked, like, what would be the most helpful, like, as, if we could go back and go, what would be helpful to a church planner to let, help them go further, faster, of lessons that we've learned, or maybe lessons that we're learning, that we could help people ask the right questions or have the right frame? Because sometimes you could do the right work, but at the wrong time, and it can have results that you're not really, that's going to mess you up a little bit because you're doing the wrong work in the wrong order. And so one of the things we talked about is like, let's frame up a vision for church planting or a how of church planting that would help some church planters cheat, but not cheat the process, but just cheat in knowing a playbook a little bit of what order maybe to go in. We're not the Holy Spirit, so we would want somebody to trust the Holy Spirit. But as yeah. we're thinking through partners that want to help church planters, organizations that want to help church planters, families of church planters, or maybe even potential church planters, we wanted to be able to be helpful. So you maybe want to put a frame out that we, we've talked about? Yeah, one of the ways that we've uh, thought about church planting, I know you you know, I've had a lot of conversations about this, Mike, uh, and some of this comes, there are different people that have worked on this before us from uh, originally back in the late 90s, early 2000s, a guy by the name of John Worcester worked on staff at Saddleback, created uh, a purpose-driven church planting model. Then uh, fast forward, another mentor, common mentor that we've both learned from is a guy named Ron Sylvia uh, out of Florida. Uh, so we've done some work with him to kind of refine some of those those stages. So we broke down uh, the church planting process into stages or phases, and it just helps give paradigm. Part of the benefit of being able to see in stages, it's almost like development, child development, where if you look and you say, well, uh, there are certain things that are supposed to happen at certain developmental phases for a kid. And 
uh, in a church plant, if you can really focus in for a period of time in the phase, then it allows you when you're in the next phase to focus on the thing that's required at that phase. Let me jump in because it also helps when you're a young parent, you are terrified that something's wrong with your kid if you're not yes. sure what phase you're supposed to be in. So they're one years old and you're like, why don't they know the alphabet and why aren't they running right now? And you're like, well, they're not supposed to be able to do that. You know, so it, it gives you great confidence when people that have been there before have, can say, like, just relax. That will come. But it's not yet. Yeah, exactly. And then there's always that like one kid that every parent thinks is smarter than the rest of the kids. And you're like, OK, well, that's one kid out of a million that's super smart or whatever. And it, I love that because you be, you can synthesize or look at like, okay, the majority of kids are at this this place during this phase. So um, breaking it down, there's five uh, five particular phases. The first one is the dream stage or the dream phase, and we think about that from the point that a church planter initially gets a call from God or uh, starts to dream and have that vision from God to the point that they go to start building out. Uh, the process to launch the church. So the build stage is, we're going to call that the stage that happens before you launch. So that build stage is going to be about a nine to 12 month period of time uh, from the point that you originally got the vision or the call from God. And then once we get through the build stage, we're going to focus on launching the church. Usually that's about a six to eight month. So we've marked that as 12 to 18 months. Uh, Once the church is launched, then we have what we call the growth stage. And uh, that stage goes basically from uh, concept, not from conception, but from launch for another like year or so after growth. And then beyond that, we call it the multiplication stage. And so these stages can vary in length, but in essence, it's kind of a progression. So it's dream, build, launch, growth, and then into multiplication. Yeah, I love that. It just puts when you hear it and you've done it, it's like, yes, you immediately intuitively know that those are the phases and you don't quite know all that at the beginning. So if we could help a planter or people that are helping planters understand that there's lots of ways you could frame that up. This is just the frame that we're choosing to talk about it. And even for this podcast, if you're interested, one of the things that we're going to be doing over this next season, this next year is, okay, let's take a deep dive or as you would always say, double click into one of those phases (laughs) and what are we learning from that phase or what have we learned in that phase that we would challenge people with in a good way or encourage people with. And then the next month we may invite one of our friends and do an interview. Um, One of us may do an interview about that phase or topic when we've seen people that have done a really good job at it or uh, be able to have great experience at or have great thoughts about it. So if you're looking for like the direction of where we're headed in the content over the next season, that's, that's what it's going to be like. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. And I think one thing that's kind of cool, Mike, as we like look to the future, if we go out, let's say a year from now with the podcast, we'll be able to kind of walk through all of these stages. So our hope in a lot of ways is just to give church planters a toolbox that maybe church planters or partners can kind of refer back and say, okay, well, if you're in the dream stage, here are two or three episodes that you can listen to, two or three interviews. So it's going to take us some time to get through. We're not going to be able to like pound out everything. We're really not in each of these trying to give all the information that we can on, on church planting, just a slice of it to be helpful. That's exact. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we wouldn't pretend um, 
to be the Holy Spirit. You know, these are just things that we've learned and we wouldn't pretend to be able to say like we are the consummate professionals and the end of the, uh, like we know all the information that there is to be about church planting. We are just trying to help as best we can the next generation of church planters with things that we wish we would have known back in the, back in the day when we were learning and walking our way through it. Yeah, it's good. All right, let's jump in. So like if we were double clicking on the dream stage and we we're going, okay, let's think through like the why behind the dream stage, like the why of church planting. And I know that you've said there's probably at least seven like reasons, good reasons to plant the church. At some point we maybe will do like the, what are the seven bad reasons to plant the church? Cause we have those yeah. in the back pocket. We've, we've seen that happen too. Um, but what are, what are some of those, the reasons why behind planting a church? So why don't you walk us through some of that? Yeah. So, and when it comes to this whole dream stage, like there's a, a few different places that will go, you know, through our episodes, we'll talk about um, decision of where to plant the church. That'll be a part of it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about how to shape your vision in terms of like values and almost, almost like a, a template that you can put your vision on a piece of paper or a digital version of that. Uh, we'll talk uh, about the, the team that we'll, we'll build with and then financial support. So that'll, that kind of gives some of the like, here's where we're going when it comes to the dream uh, stage. So on this first part with the why, what we want to do is we really want to frame uh, the motivation behind planting a church. Like, you know, if you do the right thing, but you do it for the wrong reason, you, you end up with some bad results. And so we're really dialing in the heart behind this. Um, and the first of these, I would venture to say, and Mike, we probably both have lots of stories from our own lives, other church planters that we've talked to, uh, is it coming from, number one, that you have a heart for the lost. And when I think back, Mike, I, I'd love to hear your story too. Um, I remember being a sophomore, junior in high school, having all these friends of mine that didn't know Jesus. And there was such a strong desire internally for me, for them to, to be able to experience God, to come to church and have church meet them where they are or were at the time. And that really was the genesis or the beginning for me of a call to vocational ministry was like, I want my friends to experience what I'm experiencing. And I would say every season of life, you know, that desire, um, there are times where I'm, I'm more on it, more passionate about it, but that's the undercurrent for me that really has driven my desire to plant ch- a church two times that drove the desire in this transition to Saddleback was like the question of uh, what does it look like for my life to make an impact on people who don't know the love of Jesus and that being the primary motivation behind why I would plant a church. It was one of the reasons why, for me, I um, was navigating, I didn't want to be a church planter and uh, because I thought that they were all cynical 20-somethings that wanted to be their own under their own authority and knew how to do it better. And I didn't want to be that. Um, I wanted to like be in my lane, helping people help. I was a student pastor. I was biased to student ministry and I just love lost people. Cause I was one, like I didn't grow up in church. You know, my best friend reached me uh, and invited me to church for the first time as a student and like helped transform my life. So I was one of those that I would have been your friend that didn't know Jesus. And so I just wanted it to be helpful for in that generation of people finding Jesus. And so I didn't want to be cynical. I didn't want to do church better than, you know, somebody else. And so when God reoriented my heart around calling, it was all about uh, lost people. And so one of the things for my life has been, you know, like, man, if it doesn't make sense for lost people, 
Like, what, what are we doing? And that's been a, yeah. you know, that's a bias that I have an internal bias that I have uh, all the time. Yeah. I think on the, on the flip side of that too, like what you're saying is there's so many instances where pastors are disgruntled or they're frustrated or, uh, they feel like they can do, like you said, a better version of what they're coming from. And, you know, that may work short term. Like you may be able to gather a bunch of Christians quickly if you do it that way, but eventually that, that comes back on you. And so, uh, for us, but for both you and for our family, like that was just, that was a driving motivator that we kept coming back to. I also think that this will influence the kind of team that you build. Like if you're building a team of people that are hungry and passionate about reaching those who don't know God, you're just going to have a different all around experience. Well, and then when you're in this phase and it's a dream, you have the idea of lost people in your mind. But when you get on the ground, you will have the reality of lost people in your life. And then then you have to figure out, like, do I really have a heart for lost people? I know theologically I'm supposed to love them, but do I like them? Yeah. (laughs) So, And then do they like me? And I don't mean, like, insecurity, but, like... Do am, am I is our family winsome? Are do we are we getting invited places? Like as I watched Jesus around lost people, and he was winsome, and he was himself, and he got invited to their world. So that's I mean, like it's not just enough to theologically have ideas about lost people that we should love them, but in, in this phase, it's they're going to get in your world and in your life, and you have to love them and like them. So it's yeah. also it's really good, man. That's really good. I, I get a little worried, you know, like there's, if there's other motives in our hearts, sometimes there is, but if lost people is not the driving factor, it will be revealed down the road. And there are some idle factories in our heart that can get revealed in church planting as well. So, and that doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you hum- human, but we got to make sure that like we always put lost people at the forefront of what the calling is that God has for us. Good. Cool. Let's let's keep going. So, other reasons, good reasons to plant a church. Yeah, the second one that I ha- I have here is around vision from God, and uh, part of w- what I think is so important here is really asking the question honestly. Like, do do I have a clear vision that God has put in my heart to plant a church that's different from other churches? And this is where. Of course, like we're not trying to do something better, but we are trying to do something different. So I don't want to go, you know, when I planted, I didn't want to go to like reproduce exactly what another church was doing in the same community. I wanted to ask the question, like, does, what is God dropping in my heart? And can I see a vision of what church could be like? And that's, I think that that's one of the primary distinguishing factors of church planting. Now we're going to get a little bit more into this with shape and just discerning in my shape to plant a church. But to, to honestly assess the question, like, is God, has God given you a vision? Like, and part of the, the, whether or not you know this is if you can articulate a vision. Now, like, we get better at articulating vision as we go along. But if somebody were to press me and say, like, what kind of church do you envision? And if I can't come up with language with the kind of church I envision, then I probably don't have a vision from God. So it's that picture that God deposits into our hearts that comes out of that like internal holy wrestling of, you know, a burden that God places there, but just making sure I'm doing it from vision, from a vision that God has given to me. 
I love that. And I've, it's been a challenge for me. This one was, I don't know, I knew this one we were going to talk about just because there's times that I've felt insecure as a leader that, you know, I don't feel personally like a visionary leader or I've not, you know, ever had the 15 year vision plan. You know, I know some people are like really good at that. And I've always had a deep insecurity probably if I'm being honest around it, but there has been when there was a call in my life around planting there was this journey of the vision that God, of the church that God was calling us to plant that I was yeah. starting to articulate and find. But I, I would even say, even if you're navigating some insecurity about not being a visionary leader, that doesn't let you off the hook of being able to go on the vision journey of what God's calling you to as a church planter. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, Mike. One of the concepts that has been super helpful for me that I've like uh, learned more about recently is um, in a life planning process, there's uh, this concept of like a primary or secondary leader where like you have a natural bent. Like some people are, they can lead really well from a second chair and they they even prefer a second chair. Uh, And then the same would be true from an idea standpoint. Like you have people that are primary or secondary idea leaders. And like if you look over the last 30 to 40 years, primarily in North America, you see that whole purpose-driven movement. Like you remember when all these pastors are wearing, you know, the Hawaiian shirts and cutting their hair like that's what you Warren. do. Yeah, that's how you. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yes. And then it switched, and then like Chris Hodges, Pastor Chris Hodges from Highlands, did his uh, whole kind of grow track, and then there were a bunch of pastors, and there are just a lot of really great leaders that maybe they're not the primary idea leader but they could take a model of ministry and they could say, oh, I could do that. Um, and I, I think that that's great. Like it's, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the kind of person that can create a new model of ministry or language around it. Like if I think that the, the principle is like, can I envision it becoming a reality? Like, can I see in my mind's eye and then articulate that vision to other people so that I can inspire them? And I, you know, to give ourselves the freedom to say, well, maybe there's a, there's a model of ministry that I really deeply resonate with. And then I think the question is, I just don't want to try to reproduce that same model of ministry in the community where I'm going. Like if there's another church with that same vision, they don't, they're, the, the community probably doesn't need two of those churches right next to each other. I'd be better going to a community that doesn't have uh, that same vision of a church. And, you know, part of this too is exposing, like, I'm, I think you and I are both more like this. We, we'd rather go where somebody is not, but even Paul talks about that. in a lot of his letters, like, I don't want to, I don't want to go where somebody else is already planting and called. Uh, and this, this was interesting to me watching church planters. Cause I think sometimes church planters can like assume, well, if there's been a successful church plant in a community, well, that means there can, I could go there and plant a church as well. But the truth is like there is, there is low hanging fruit um, that sometimes gets harnessed by the first church planter to come into a community and do like a new paradigm, new style church. And um, all this works together with God's calling, but it's just asking the question, is my vision something unique from God for me, for the community that, that I'm feeling called to? Yep. Uh, it was a pretty powerful thing because we had moved, we were planting, we were getting into our city. And then 
We we uh, we love the churches that are in our city. In fact, it's a fireable offense at our church to talk bad about another local church because, like we you know, we want to make sure we're honoring the bride. It's hard to have a good relationship with the groom if you're if you don't like the bride. So um, we so we were like going to churches and it was we love the churches here and it was really refresh refreshing to us to go like oh, but we have a place. Like, you know, there's a, there's a need for the, what we feel called to, and it's not stepping on anybody's toes and we're not better than anybody. We can come alongside on our part of the wall and get to work. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that this does play into that. The third one that we have here, which is that you have identified an unreached people group. And, uh, this is where, like, when you look again at a community asking the question, there are different this is not necessarily ethnicity, but it could be like age breakdown. It could be ethnicity, but to, to really assess, I think it's, it's good for a church planter to assess, like, who do I naturally connect with? Some people have kind of that missionary gift that they can, uh, they can bridge and they can reach a lot of different groups of people. We tend to reach people similar to us in terms of season of life, uh, even at ethnicity, it tends to be the same as well, or at least interest like some, uh, and now, you know, the world is more diverse now, but there still is just a general reality that you're going to reach people who are similar to you in season of life and interest and just making sure that I've got an identified, uh, people group. That's an unreached group of people. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think you know, a lot of our cities, when you look at percentages and just do math to get about the Great Commission, there are plenty of lost people in our world and in our cities. So, you know, to figure out what your neighborhood, your niche, I think there's something about the holy, something holy about the people and place that God has called us to. You know, like uh, that was Eugene Peterson when he in the, pa- the pastor memoir he wrote was fantastic. And I think even Grothy's new book, like The Power of Place or something, I may get that wrong, but like it was like St. Francis of Assisi, you know, it was like Mother Teresa yeah. of Calcutta. There was something holy about the people in place. And so looking for that um, is, is pretty powerful as a planter. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, the, these so far, these three are so powerful. Like when we, when we give the attention to them on having a heart for the lost and vision from God and identified unreached people group. Um, the fourth one's a little more controversial, though. Oh, I like it. Let's go. Yeah. And that's one around shape. And the question is that you're like, are, am I shaped to plant a church? And so the fourth good reason would be that you're shaped to plant. In shape? Because I, so do I need to do, do we need to get somebody on some workout plans yeah, or what true. are we talking about? You, yeah. Circular shape. Uh, so. <laughs> When, when we talk about this, we have several different things in mind, like spiritual gifts, um, of course, your heart and what you're passionate about. But I would say that there's also an experiential element, like from your experience, what do you, what have you done in the past? You start to see uh, when you apply yourself to certain activities, it works, others, it's hard. Um, but God has wired you in a certain way. And there are certain spiritual gifts that are very important to planting a church. Spiritual gift of leadership is uber important. Now, the, the gift comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes, but it's really hard to plant a church if you don't have the spiritual gift of leadership. And then teaching and preaching uh, is another spiritual gift that is super important. Uh, I would also wrestle through if you're starting something from scratch, like what kind of 
from scratch experiences do you have in the past? Um, looking back in, in hindsight to ask the question like, when I was in high school, did I start anything from scratch? When I was in college, did I, you know, do businesses, to small groups in your church? Or, but if, if somebody doesn't have that like natural tendency to want to start things, then it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge to, uh, to plant a church. I would also add that it's possible God would call somebody to be a part of a church plant, but not necessarily be the lead church planter. Yeah, absolutely. That's possible. Yeah. Cause I think planting is a team sport when we do it right. So I hope that God is involved in calling just more than the individual to it. Right. So yeah. even for context on shape, you know, that's like the acrostic that we, I, I would assume people have heard before. So I was joking, but like spiritual gifts is the S and the heartbeat that you have is the H and the abilities that are naturally been given you is the A and the personality that you have is the P and the experiences of your life is the E of like, and God typically uses all of that uh, to make us who we are. And there's a pretty, you want to have some of that in play to be an impactful church planter. Yeah, what you're talking yeah. about. Yep, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And then to like wrestle through if I'm not wired with those spiritual gifts, with that kind of experience, with that personality, um, is there another fit on the team for me? And uh, this is where like assessment comes into play. Like we Amen. we talk a lot about going through some form of more of a formalized assessment. Uh, to wrestle through like, okay, am I wired to be a planter? Yep. Love that. And we can give some resources actually in the next few episodes, I'm sure we'll have some resources that that's a big deal to both of us. We both have talked about the importance of that. Yeah. Um, when I just quick story and then we'll move on. Um, I was in fourth grade in my elementary school on Fridays, you could get pop, I grew up in Oklahoma and you could get popcorn for a quarter. So if you brought a quarter, they'd give you popcorn at the end of the day. And I feel like I never had money. And so I devised a scheme with my friends that we would rewrite rap songs. Um, this is pre, uh, I wasn't really a Christian at the time, but I don't think it was immoral what I was doing, but we would rewrite like beastie boys rap songs and I would print them off and then we would sell them for a dime. And then we would make our popcorn money. And eventually I had people that were working for me in the different places, our elementary school where we were all getting popcorn. And I didn't even think about that as part of my church plant shape. until much later when we were talking about building a team, but there you go. That's awesome. So popcorn, popcorn money. Did you discover that in an assessment or like, did you make that connection? It was like, I just hadn't thought about him forever. It was more like a funny story about writing raps. And then you start, you know, as you're telling your story, you're like, Oh, there, God has always kind of put a little bit of point guard ish ability in my life. And the way my leadership style is I like to lead like a point guard and get people in their right spots and yeah. for the most effective impact. And there was like a, the story that God had been writing in my life. So that's awesome, man. That's so good. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it's so uh, interesting how, when you look back on most successful church planters, like you can see that kind of train going backwards. And sometimes that like gets more pronounced as you go along because your skills are developing. But it's pretty rare that you wouldn't find a church planter that by the time they're like in high school, they're not doing some kind of like entrepreneurial or starting something or selling something. You know, it's just, it's in, inside of you. Absolutely. I agree. 
Uh, that's not that controversial, by the way. So I, you you oversold it there. I was I was getting excited that we were going to have a controversy on our hands. No, I'm teasing. Well, it's it's mostly controversial for people who think that they should be a lead planter but shouldn't. Well, if I had to, like the number of guy that told me they were called to plant a church, like so many people that say I'm called, and then uh, you know, there, one one funny thing is total t- tangent. But I was talking to my buddy, so apparently there's like. In uh, my my high school, my son, who's a sophomore right now, as we're recording, he plays line. He's like six foot three, two eighty five, two ninety, and he wants to play college football. I met him and I called him tiny because he's he's a giant in a good way. He, he's he's a big dude, and he uh, he's got the he's got the physical body of a college athlete. Like he's he's gifted from God in that way. And so I'm like trying to help him do everything I can. And one of my buddies who played college ball was saying, there's these guys that they give out stars. Have you heard about these guys before? Yeah. So they like, they, they find the athletes and then they put, they give them stars and then the colleges look at the number of stars. And I was saying like, when I was in the Bay area, I felt like I had become the guy that gave out stars for church planters. And I, I didn't want that job. Like I hate that role right. because right. you don't, I'd rather people go through assessment and let the assessment determine it. But the, you know, it's so hard to argue with when somebody says I'm called to plant a church, you know, it's like that's between them and God. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, you may be called, but that, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily supposed to financially support it or, I call I call it the Mer- the American Idol generation too. You know, my mama told me I was called to win American Idol, and you get in there and sing, and you cannot sing. And I'm like, honey, you are not winning American Idol, no matter how dumb you think the judges are or how called you feel. So sometimes that's where assessment gives us some honest feedback uh, to each other in a helpful way. And you know, God can use anybody. Uh, that doesn't mean right. we're supposed to fund every- everybody. So. That's good. Yeah. And I think too, Mike, that like the desire on this is coming from a good place of trying to spare people the pain. You know, there it's a lot of pain when somebody goes and moves their family and raises a bunch of money. And uh, it's better like for them to find that right spot in God's kingdom as well. But again, that's, it's, it's between them and God too. So oh, this is really good stuff, man. Um, I, the the one that I see next, I, I'm pretty uh, passionate about. So I love, can't wait to hear your thoughts of like having a sending church or not being like a lone ranger, like being that under authority and supported and like somebody helping guard your marriage and soul and, you know, finances. Like, how, yeah. So give me why you wrote in your mind, like that's a good reason to have uh, the, the, to plant a church is that you have a sending church or churches or organization of some kind. Yeah, I think of it like marriage where, you know, there there are certain people I know that when they get married, they come from really like dysfunctional families or even toxic families. And it's it's really hard for them to like garner the support of their family. But almost in every instance, it's so much better when a young married couple has the support of both both of their parents. And I think that the same is true with a church planter. Like, if you're going out, you need family to get behind you. Like you need a family that's going to support. They're going to pray with you. I think this is so important in terms of like a uh, prayer shield, like a family that's going to, a church family that's going to pray for your family on a daily basis. And they're, they're going to be your covering. 
as you go out. If you're, if you're going out and like nobody is believing in what you're called to do, then it's, it should be like a big red flag. Like, Oh, I, I probably shouldn't do this. So to me, that would be like a good, uh, litmus test of wiring, of calling. Like, are there other churches that are willing to stand with me in this process? And I would just encourage any church planter. I don't want to over spiritualize it. Um, but it's like we're in, you know, spiritual warfare. And if you are planting a church or supporting a church planter, it is frontline spiritual warfare and the enemy does not play around. So to have a covering authority, people legit praying for you. I mean, the enemy cheats too. He'll go after your kids. Most every initiative of a church planter I've seen, like whether it be they're, they're prayed up, but the, you know, they, their kids have trouble in different areas and it's not all spiritual. There's not a demon around every bush. I'm not wired that way, but we are in a spiritual battle. So to have covering support and multiple people really going after it for you, your marriage, your kids is, is really, really important. Yeah. I would also say to this, like if you are coming from uh, a situation, like if a church planter is coming from a situation that's a bit more dysfunctional and there's like jealousy and all that, um, to find a church planting church or a couple of church planting churches and try to link arms with them and let them also be in a, somebody to assess. It's almost like if you were in a dysfunctional family, but you wanted to get married and you still found a, a couple of families in your church to do premarital counseling and stand with you. It's that same concept. So I just encourage church planters, like even if your church that you're coming out of is not a healthy church, to still find a church or a couple of churches. Exponential is a good network of, of churches where there's a lot of like covering there where you can find some good mentors and uh, churches to stand with you as well. Yeah. Just because the churches have been dysfunctional that you have been in or are coming from doesn't mean that you need to go it alone or do that. You do that, do it on your own or become one of those unhealthy places. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we mentioned calling quite a bit. That's number six, I see. So let's talk about it. A good reason to plant a church, you are called. Yeah, and this is like, it is kind of a nebulous concept a bit. And I think that these last two really do tie together. So the way I put it is like, you're called. And a part of what, a part of how you know you're called, there's like this element of you just, number seven is like, you can't not do it. So six is you're called. Seven, you can't not do it. Let me go back through these just in case anybody's like trying to make sure they got them all. So one is you have a heart for the lost. Two is you have a vision from God. Three is you have identified an unreached people group. Four is you're shaped to plant. Five is you have a sending church. And then six and seven is you're called and you can't not do it. And, you know, I, I like to look at examples all throughout the Bible of calling from, you know, Jeremiah to uh, so many of the prophets in the Old Testament to the story of Esther, like, you know, such a time as this kind of moment, uh, Paul's like New Testament calling from Jesus. But there, there is a part of that calling you when you plant a church, you just go back to it over and over and over and over again. And you ask the question, like, did God get me into this? And if God got yep. me into it, God's going to see me through it. And that like even moving here to this role might come in a saddleback. The, the most important question for me the whole time was, what does God want me to do? 
Well, the thing I've thought, you know, that we had is that success is faithful obedience. That was on our church planting journey. Success isn't up and to the right numerics. Success is faithful obedience to what God called us to. So we and and then when we got out here, it was quote unquote working, and we still had to look at each other and say, success is faithful obedience to what God called us to. And I've had a lot of church plant friends that when it gets difficult, or when your family is going through it, or when finances are tight, or when the person leaves the church, or when you know it comes back to that calling of being confident that God has called us into that, and we'll see it through. And so. You know, church planting is not an easy sport. It's an obedience sport. And so we've got to always keep coming back to that call, to that call for sure. Yeah. The, uh, it gives you so much of an ability to persevere in in the Mm -hmm. midst of when it doesn't go the way that you thought it would, or you encounter difficulty or staff members leave. And I think church planting is a pretty lonely calling. Uh, there are just so many moments along the way where you're like, "Have I lost my mind?" And if I know if I know God's got me here, then I can I can keep persevering. The other mm-hmm. part that happened for me in conjunction with this, when we planted the church in the Bay Area, I remember there was a moment where I was sitting in a worship service, and it sounds sounds a little bit like weird to say this, but I I got to the place where I was like, "You you literally would have had to kill me." to get me to not to do to not do the thing that God had put in my heart. Like I didn't care if people would go with me. I didn't care like how much money we had. And I wanted all that for us to get a strong start. But at the end of the day, if I had to do it alone, I mean, my wife and I, if it was just the two of us, I, I would do it without anybody. And that mentality, I think, of allowing me to get, like allowing my heart and mind to say, like, you'd have to kill me to get me to not do this. There's that level of resolution that I think is so important. You can't do anything else. Like there's nothing else that I can do with my life. It's not a career move. It's not like, oh, I'm, I need freedom from my former church. It's like, no, I cannot not do this thing that God's put in my heart. I couldn't agree more. Like I am a thousand percent in agreement with that. I lack conviction of calling that this is, it'd be disobedient not to do that. My father-in-law, Mike Rowe would say, if you can do anything else in the world besides be a pastor or a church planter, please go do it. Because people, we need people that are called into it, uh, not people that are doing it out of, uh, out of any other reason other than call and conviction. Well, I think that these are some good reasons right here. Yeah, dude, I, I love it. And so if you're a, a partner of a church planter or a church planter or even processing being a church planter, this is the kind of way we're going to have it is just let Andy and I have a conversation about things that we've learned. Again, not experts in any shape or form, but just trying to help the next season of church planters go further faster. Um, and so then the next episode we'll have is let's interview a friend uh, that will help us navigate some of this conversation of how they've lived it out. And then we'll kind of be walking through our phases of church planting as we go. Uh, if you want to jump into this journey with us, please do it and subscribe. And Andy, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Much love. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.